Thomas Newman. Welcome to the lab. Today, I'm excited to have our next guest. James Hanish is one of the newest additions to our program here at Hawken, and I'm excited because I get to talk to him every day. Uh, you guys are in for a treat as we kind of take a trip through uh, his history, his, uh, his career, uh, and more importantly, find a little bit more about what makes him tick. Um, I can tell you personally, I've spoken to a bunch of coaches. I can speak to a bunch of sports scientists and I'm always amazed at uh, just how difficult it is to take a lot of the concepts from the lab and from kind of research and then practically apply it. And I mean, just call it what it is. If you get hired to do this job, you know, did you achieve your objective, which in all cases, when we talk about whether it's data technology or training is to increase productivity and ultimately win your um, league conference or whatever your championship is. And what's nice about James is that he's actually done that. He's actually gone to the top of the mountain. He's, you know, successfully won a Super Bowl. And today, what I hope to do is unpack a little bit about what makes him tick, uh, more importantly, what drives him, and then how he was able to do this kind of mysterious thing that a lot of people seem to have a hard time with. So without further ado, James, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Awesome. Well, hey, listen, I know a bunch about you, um, as I alluded to in the intro, but I want to know kind of, you know, forget forget professional stuff for a minute. How did you get into this? And what was kind of your iron bug moment? Everyone that I've ever met that is worth anything can always go back to some critical time or critical moment where the the, the switch just flipped. And it was like, I really like this. And then they go full throttle. What was what was your moment for that? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I, uh, you know, a couple spring to my mind uh, off the bat. I think one of the first moments, you know, I've always just loved sport. Uh, you know, just love being involved with it. I uh, love playing, play Australian football, tennis, basketball, you, met, like you, you name it. I've, I've tried to play it. Um, but, you know, one of those guys that's never been good enough to be be elite, uh, but love being around that group, you know. And I think, you know, falling in love with sport is, is definitely um, – you have a moment that I think it, it, it all clicks for you. And, and for me, that was uh, with myself and my dad and my dad kind of coached me, uh, you know, when I was in primary school, uh, that's elementary school for, for those playing in America, uh, you know, and that's, uh, you know, just doing cross country running uh, and basically trained me. And I, and I, I, I won the race that we trained for. Um, and it was kind of that point on that, you know, I kind of fell in love with the, you know, you know, love winning uh, and, and want to win. Um, and so that that kind of started that kind of quest for me. And then both my parents are in the like information technology sector and kind of was around computers kind of all my life, um, but also love sport as well. And uh, the, the big, uh, yes, I want to do this as a career moment. I was lucky enough to uh, get an internship uh, with uh, the Adelaide Crows, an Australian football team. And uh, on the first day, the, the head fitness coach, uh, Stephen Schwert, uh, he uh, brought me outside to basically kick the ball with uh, one of the players. And uh, it was, it was uh, Andrew McLeod, who, uh, for those who don't know, is a uh, yeah, highly decorated player, one of the, one of the best uh, to ever play the game. And, and my first day on the, on the job was to kick the footy with him. And uh, that was the moment for me that was like, OK, this is something that I really, really want to do. Uh, going forward and then uh, really just the my passion around technology and uh, kind of how to apply that in in a setting uh, that that's how it all kind of started from there so uh, I would say it, it started with winning but then also just the fun and uh, being a part of it's hard in life to find a 
a point where a direction that everyone wants to go in the same direction. Uh, and that's what sport is so great is that everyone has the same passion and the same drive um, to, to kind of hit that one direction and, and to win and, and hopefully win it all. So yeah, that's how, that's how it kind of all started for me. Yeah. I remember that, that uh, first time that I felt it, I just go, wow, that that's, that's pretty cool magic. And I remember the coach at the time, he was very eloquent. He said, it's not magic, stupid. It's called exercise science. And that's how I actually got into my major and being able to learn how to wield that magic. And it's something that I think early on you, 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 you are in awe, you're very appreciative. And then you kind of get addicted at trying to figure out, well, how do I gain uh, another advantage? How do I get another tool in the toolbox? And actually the more that you learn and the deeper down the rabbit hole you go, the quicker you find out, we don't know anything. I mean, even at the highest level, we are scratching the surface of what the human body is capable of. And it's this never ending. I don't know. I wouldn't even know if I'd call it a job. It's a, it's a calling or a, a quest where, you know, you have the curious mind, which is a terrible thing to waste, um, can easily be found, you know, digging through, you know, different data sheets or, you know, different conversations and people. Um, and then the field just kind of opens up. So still tremendous awe uh, every time, you know, I, I learn a new thing and I'm sure with you as well. Um, you know, how did you, how did you take that curiosity and then turn that into a career path? I think most people in the United States have a clear understanding. You go to college, you go to undergrad, you do endless amounts of unpaid internships to then try to get a GA spot, which, you know, you may do that for two or three years. And then you go back to the job search and it's such a fine, finely tuned market where I think, I think I read some study it was something close to. 2,600 or 3,000 CSCS openings in the collegiate level. And there's something like 35,000 people uh, have that certification. So you're talking about a very, very small opportunity. And often why people either get burnt out or they end up doing retail and loving their job, even though we know they don't. Um, how does that look for Australia, uh, that path? Because I don't think a lot of people understand things are a little different over there. What's that career path pathway look like over there? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I I definitely came in at the period where you still had to do the uh, you know crazy internships and uh, kind of really set your set yourself apart from other people in that respect. Uh, you know, sports science has kind of been around in Australia, uh, coin at sports science, but uh, you know the kind of using technology and and hoping to enhance performance. If you think about Australia, you know, it's got twenty two million people. Um, so the the scope for recruitment is a lot lower in terms of you know get it, finding the athletes who are exceptional um, from a from a baseline. Uh, but you know around you know the 2000 Olympics, um, you know probably 15 20 years before that, as a building building blocks between there, there's a lot of you know a lot of lab work was done, exercise physiology, biomechanics. Um, you know there's some tremendous people in that space like Dr. Dave Martin. Um, and you know, you can, you can see that the progression in trying to get athletes and players to the, to be the absolute best in Australia was really the kind of calling card for, you know, Australian sports science and Australian Institute of Sport. Uh, whereas the U S is a little different in the fact that, you know, it's more about talent identification and finding, uh, finding the talent for different sports. And there's so many leagues and, and trying to find the players that best uh, best fit and so like the maximizing of performance wasn't necessarily the highest priority it was more about finding the right the right uh, talent to to go into that sport so that's where now in the u.s you're seeing a, a different change where 
uh, sports science is really starting to take hold and, and it's starting to you know, really accelerate in, okay, how do we optimize our team or this person or the systems that we have uh, in order for our team to be, to be the best. So from a career standpoint, I, I still had the, the endless hours. Um, it, it's funny. I, I got in at the right time in terms of like GPS technology. That's how I got my in. Uh, I kind of was with one of the first teams to get it. And, you know, I, there was a computer program. You basically had a, a trackpad and a mouse uh, and it had an oval on the screen. And I, and I used to go to uh, three different matches or two different matches on the weekend uh, or games in the US. And I used to uh, sit there in the stands and follow with a cursor the guy running on the field. Um, and that was that was how you determined how far the guy went, how fast he fast, how fast he ran. Be honest, how much fun was that? It, it was fun for a little bit, and then it got really boring. Um, but it, it did actually, you know, I did that for six, seven hours in a week, like in a weekend, just sitting there uh, following two guys. And now it, it is crazy to think, you know, fifteen odd years later, uh, and you know, we have you know, we have under twelves wearing GPS and and all this other stuff. So uh, yeah, it's uh, you know that that really was kind of my calling card from that point. And there is, there is something to be gained from uh, doing those things as well. Cause I learned about what the, you know, what was that, what actually is a technology and how does it work and how do you apply it? And, you know, what were the starting phases? Whereas now there's some, you know, you can basically take things out of a box and use it, but there's no talk of reliability or, uh, you know, accuracy. And um, so, you know, it, it, it's a, it's definitely a different time right now to what it was when I, when I first started. Yeah, you know, you bring up a great point. I know in our other podcast, we had coach TJ Bellinger uh, from Yale. And, and again, I, I'm very proud of him. He was one of the first interns we had. And uh, I always make sure I let him know that he was one of the first to still do things by pen and paper. So the cards would be written, he would hand transcribe it. And I think the learning um, effect of that is that as things modernize, and as things pick up, if you've done it by hand, as painful as it is, the attention to detail you need to have to be able to sustain because everybody loves being a coach for about five minutes uh, or six or seven hours in your case, as you said, but then you stuck to it and then you learned about that process and, and why that matters is oftentimes younger generations might just take data for what it's worth. And there's no, Hey, that doesn't make sense. And, and he mentioned a couple of times, and I know I've seen it too, is that, well, the data says this, well, but timeout, like we know for a fact that, you know, someone's system weight cannot be 30,000 Newtons. Maybe that's a calibration issue. And so I think when you think about data, it always has to be in the context of, you know, what are the ranges? What are the norms? And, and, and these behaviors, you know, you mentioned Australian football. That has not changed so much so to the point that if you saw someone running 50 miles an hour on the GPS unit, that suddenly, you know, there's cheetahs out there, you, you know, the normal ranges and limits. And I think that's a, an important lesson for some of the up and comer um, coaches to be able to really think through that manual process and not saying you have to do it forever, um, but certainly have that in the back of your mind as you're evaluating any technology, because, you know, you're only as good as the data says, and, and actually making decisions on bad data not only loses the confidence in your athletes, but your coaching staff as well. So I think that is a, a wise lesson for people to, to learn to make sure that you do have a full understanding before you roll it out in prime time. So I think that's a, that's interesting. You had to go through that and I'm sure you're glad that things have changed. So you don't have to do it anymore. Yeah, no doubt. And I, and I think you're spot on the, you know, being, being, 
uh, kind of diligent in the approach and, and kind of knowing the methodology about you know how things are created and how uh, how that workflow uh, ends up getting from the technology to you to interpretation to delivery decision making. Uh, there is something kind of raw and visceral about like understanding like the the, the real process of it all uh, uh, and how you got there. So uh, yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Yeah. Now you mentioned that process that you had gone through, but I, I am aware. Um, and for those that are listening, there has been some shakeup and there has been some changes uh, coming out of Australia. Um, is it the same path today? So looking at five, 10, 15, 20 years, is that path a little bit differently with some of the restructuring and some of the funding within the Institute? Because my first experience with uh, AIS was GPS and, and you saw all these guys coming out of, um, out of there, you know, talking about GPS, talking about really... Um, sports from a much more clinical approach, if that's uh, a way to think about it. And so seeing that then interjected into American culture, I felt like um, that was very unique to Australians. You didn't really see that um, from maybe an Italian practitioner or someone coming out of wherever. Um, is it still that way or, or how are things right now? Like if uh, someone's listening and they're coming up, you know, what, what would they expect? What would that path look like? Yeah, you mean coming from like Australia to the U.S.? Yeah, I'm, I'm 21 years old. I'm 20 years old. And, you know, my goal is to kind of follow what you did, but knowing that, you know, yes, I want to get to that endpoint destination, but the landscape might have changed a little bit. What, what should I be thinking about or what, what is that like right now? Yeah, I think we've definitely gone from uh, a, a different time where it was, uh, you know, being very lab based first and then going from the lab and taking that into the field. Um, to now that because technology is so readily available across uh, multiple uh, different areas from whether it be from tracking data or force plate or however it works um, you know you can you can jump in with uh, clinicians right now in the field and and just start practicing uh, and start learning how to coach and learning what technology means and, and you can go from that route. So I think beforehand it was very like, okay, do you know the fundamentals uh, in terms of what you're trying to do? And some of the, just like the, have you done a VO2 max? Have you done a Wingate test? Like some very basic like exercise physiology uh, kind of staples. Uh, whereas now it's, uh, do you know how to uh, code or do you know, like, do you know how to use R? Do you know how to uh, use Power BI or Tableau, uh, there's, a, there's a change in kind of the uh, kind of the baseline of what what it used to be and now what it is now. Um, especially if you want to get into the the sports science field, um, there's kind of been a, a decent separation between strength conditioning and sports science, where some of that, depending on where you're at, is blending together. Uh, in some respects, in other respects, is getting further apart. It depends how specialized you know that position wants to be. Uh, everyone is obviously after the golden nugget. It, it's, you know, it's my personal view that you need someone who specialized in that role, uh, in any role. Uh, so you're getting, you know, the absolute maximum of what, of what you can get. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where you just have to, it, you know, for someone who's 21, I, I really think that the, the world's your oyster. You can choose to go down the very specific route or you can choose to start with someone that you respect and, and have an internship with them and then kind of build your career path from there. You bring up a great point that they're very, they're very much is a separation of sports science and strength and conditioning. And I've mentioned this several times. I, I think currently, if you look in the U.S. market, I think Alabama 
has really done an incredible job with Dr. Rudy and, and Dave and how they were able to come together, work together as a team. And I, and I do, uh, you know, I'm saying it here, I'm saying it now. I think the idea of performance is really going to become a team concept. I just, there's so much to know about sports science. There's so much to know about medicine. There's so much to know, even just how to run a warm up. You know, how, how do you get people motivated at 6 a.m.? And, and, and I don't think as the career moves forward, you're going to be as successful individually. You just can't as much as if you have a team. And I think, you know, Eric had mentioned on a podcast uh, last week about really towards the medical team, you know, and we have different tools and technologies, you know, you can go to a doctor and, you know, he can give you a, you know, a nice prescription for a cough, but that doesn't really help you if you hurt your elbow. And then when you come back and your elbow hurts and he goes, yeah, I know the medicine didn't work. We're going to crank it up. We're going to double your dose. Well, your elbow still hurts and, and, and you didn't get there. And might you have been better off, you know, working with a team or maybe running a blood test or maybe running an imaging test. And there's enough technology now commercially available to be able to get in, to give clarity um, to those people that are, you know, in the field and in the trenches so that they have better insights and, and not that one is more important than the other, but it's how can you blend the strengths and weaknesses of your team with the tools that you have to get that best final product. So couldn't agree more. Now you said all these things and you got here, um, you know, from, from the Australian standpoint, what was it like when you stepped foot in the U S and, and it was like, all right, you know, live fire, get after it, make this a career. How did that go? What was that like? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely more challenging than I thought. I, I think one of the, you know, uh, my wife and I, we kind of lived our life on, uh, you know, take take advantage opportunities uh that that come to you uh you know take take every opportunity you can uh take educated risks uh and and we kind of thought that educated risk was moving to oregon originally and uh we didn't even know what oregon was uh we kind of got the call to to see if we wanted to get the job there so uh yeah couldn't be happy enough with that choice oregon was absolutely beautiful and it was an amazing place to work uh but yeah, it, it, it had its challenges. I think for anyone who's thinking about, you know, I, I get asked a fair bit about moving over to the US and uh, kind of what the differences are and how, you know, how how did you do it, all, all those kinds of things. And I think, you know, professionally, yeah, it was tough, but when you have a passion for a job and, uh, you know, there's still, there's limits there that, like, you, you know how to do your job and, and at least, like, there's... Uh, some boundaries there that you understand uh, at, at some point uh, and some like foundational things that you can lean back on with that and people you can talk to around like purely just from a research standpoint or from technology like you know you know what you're getting into in that respect but just some of the stuff that uh, you know the outside of work uh, going to the shopping center and or to the supermarket and you know everything that you've ever known about uh, you know washing powder like, it's like okay which one do i use now i, I don't know uh it's like peanut butter okay uh is it is like jiffy is i really get the one with the kangaroo is that actually happening um <laughs> so yeah it's like one of those things you just don't that that's the stuff that is probably harder it's fun to start with but then as you get further and further into it you're like wow this is like you know i'm actually living here now i'm like this is actually happening uh that's when it kind of gets a little more complicated and uh, you know, we've been really, really lucky that we've got like a, a great family and friend network back in Australia and they've sent us boxes of stuff and done all that. And uh, it's funny now thinking about like leaving the US and coming back to Australia, 
we, we have so much Australian stuff and people sending us stuff over the years and like us, like we have kids books with like A to, A to Z Australian animals. And it's like, well, we haven't got anything American. We need to get like American things to bring back with us now. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that like, there's definite challenges from just the, just outside of work. Um, but then in work, you know, it's just, it's, it's a completely different dynamic as well. The, the strength missioning world is uh, completely different. Uh, you know, in Australia, it's, it's quite well defined. Like the high performance manager sits over everyone uh, and then everyone else is like, you're all one big team and uh, both medical and performance. And, and it feels very, uh, very fluid. And, and the dynamic is like, you can easily shift from one person to another and everyone kind of talks a lot uh, in the U S and I, I think some, it's getting better um but it, it's very siloed uh it's very strength staff medical staff um and there's a lot of there's a lot of battles over some key things uh and, and with the strength staff being under the head coaching banner or under the coaching banner and medical staff sometimes under the coaching banner sometimes under the front office uh there's there's a lot of moving parts uh that become a lot uh, harder to navigate when you when you have information as well uh, because you know you you're, I think one of the mistakes that people made over here and, and what I'm very uh, like proud and, uh, and uh, just how my career flowed was I came in a position over here as like sports science coordinator with Oregon, but I, I didn't come in as the head of performance. Um, I, I really wanted to learn the culture before I started to install kind of my, what my beliefs were. Uh, at the end of the day, the US is extremely successful in terms of sport. Uh, teams are winning like with sports science or without sports science. So how people look at it, um, you know, I think sustained success is a different conversation, but it's, it's more about how do you fit into the culture and how can you help people around you rather than um, I, I always see the sports science department or the, the information is kind of sits underneath everyone and it should build everyone's confidence up. It should help, uh, optimize everyone on the team, not just the players, but the staff as well. And everyone should feel great. So, um, yeah, it's not about it. Yeah. I think coming to the U S was definitely a challenge in terms of communication and relationships and all that side of things, the two different sides of strength and medical. But I do think that, uh, that was a really fun aspect though as well was like learning about that, learning the dynamics and trying to help bridge that gap. Uh, I think like the bridging was really, really fun. Sounds like there might be some stories behind that bridging, right? I joke all the time that it's, it's called growing pains, not growing funds. And I can imagine from some of the stuff that you said, and I know exactly what you're talking about with the medical silos. And, and again, that it's an interesting point you bring up of, okay, the, the typically the strength coach is an extension of the head coach. And let's, you know, be honest, again, that hire is made by the head coach and then medical at the collegiate level should be you know, there should be a firewall there for a lot of reasons. Um, and then going into the professional setting, um, it gets even more confusing. What were some of those, maybe if you could enlighten us a little bit with some of those learning lessons, you're like, oh man, I did not see that, that coming. I, I can think of so many times in my own personal career, I'm like, you know, it seemed like a great idea. And then it wasn't. What, what were some of those ones that you might've experienced uh, throughout your time at either level? Yeah, I, I mean, one one jumps to to brain um, or jumps to mind is a, a better expression. Uh, it's actually early on in my career, uh, and uh, this is back in Australia. But it, 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 I tell the story more because it, I think it not only helps uh, people coming through, uh, but also just 
uh, how information should be used, um, especially like delivering it to coaching staff. And so the the head of fitness uh, brought me into his office, and head coach was in there. And this is this is my first. And, you know, I uh, you know I I feel like I'm I'm pretty good at uh, kind of reporting and and showing information and uh, in in a way that is easily digestible. Um, that's kind of my my forte. Uh, or, or has been, uh, you know, before Tableau and Power BI all came into the, into the fray as well. But um, yeah, so the head coach brought me in uh, and the head fitness coach and basically said, hey, here's a report that you put on my desk uh, as the head coach speaking. And he goes, how many other coaches have, have talked to you about this information? And I was like, oh, talk to me like directly? I'm like, yeah, like come up and talk to you about it. <laughs> like, uh, well, uh, none, I guess. Like no one's talk to me about it like you're the only one that's actually talked to me about it and he goes well that's because i actually actually really like the information um and he was also an exercise physiologist himself and he was a head fitness coach for the team at one point so he had like vested interest in it uh he's like if no one's reading it and no one's asking you questions you're failing as a sports scientist you are failing um and he goes basically go away and think about that and if you haven't got a good answer for that then don't come back and you know, that is a that is a reading from the gospel of gains we're gonna have to write that one down because that is 100 percent. lots of data lots of charts no one's talking to you then you're failing i love that 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 that's a quotable yeah. quote yeah and and basically i you know i was pissed that night uh and just couldn't wrap my head around you know why aren't people like reading this like it's, it's awesome shit like i'm really sorry I'm, this is awesome stuff um and uh yeah and he yeah, I came back the next day though, and I realized, you know, this this is what it's all about. This is this is the fun stuff of it. This is like, okay, all right, I need to change how my approach is here. I need to talk, talk to coaches about it and just go to the office and talk to them about it. I need to like get them to understand it and educate them and go through it. And and that really just changed that changed everything for me. Um and, and so I really just learned I learned that lesson uh and, and really just applied when I reached the U S it was the same deal. I really just wanted to reach out to people and talk about, you know, information and talk about how, how this can help. And yeah, there were some growing pains and, and, you know, I had written a couple of reports that showed that, you know, players weren't progressing how we thought they should be. And, you know, that, that hits people the wrong way. Uh, but then once you kind of, you know, I learned about, okay, let's make sure we talk to the people who are in charge of the area first before those reports go out and just some of the processes around that. So just, I think it's more about in the day being deliberate about who you're talking to, uh, understand that the information is powerful uh, and the communication of it is powerful. Um, and, you know, people also have their jobs on the line at the same time and we need to all be this in together. Uh, so, you know, how do we use this information together as a group uh, to, to better ourselves as a whole team and not just think about individuals? Yeah. I mean, all that is spot on. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I would go and I'd make these really great elaborate reports and this and that. And then people would just either be like, oh, thanks. And then throw it in the trash. Or as you pointed out, they wouldn't talk about it. And and I think some of the best um, reports I ever did were just simple lists. These are people you should go talk to, because I think we forget that the point of data isn't just to say, oh, I've got more data than you. It's, did I get to an insight or an action? sooner, uh, sooner than others. And did I make a, 
um, a change in my training or change in my stimulus to have a positive effect. And, and the other point there that I think, you know, is worth listening to and, and to heed that warning you're dealing, when you get into sports science, you kind of have a magical window to look into the future and we would write reports. And if I say I'm working with football and I'm looking at their power output and I start seeing drops of 5%, 10%, 12%. Okay. We're outside of, we're outside of 90% of their peak um, numbers we're looking at. I go give that to the head coach and say, it's just one position group, say it's linebacker, say it's wide receiver. That head coach is now going to make a decision based off the data I gave them that could potentially impact someone's livelihood, someone's family. And that is something that over the course of the next couple of years, and as the industry starts to grow, uh, I think people just need to be really aware of it. Maybe you go to the positional coach first, you try to intervene, you start to build a relationship because the nice thing about data is it is what it is. And you follow scientific principles and evidence-based practice, you're going to have that GPS and see traffic coming. You're going to have that radar and know that, you know, troubles, you know, a few miles out. And I think that learning how to manage maybe the emotional intelligence side of that is something that's going to have to mature as the industry as a whole. So, I mean, now that you experience that at the collegiate level, what was it like when you brought that to the, to the professional level? Cause I'm sure that only got more complicated. Yeah. I, to be honest, I, I, as you were talking, I was just thinking about this anyway. So it's a, it's a great segue into kind of the first year at the Eagles. And, um, you know, I, one of the things I had at, at my Oregon office um, and the, the building was insane, which was amazing. I had this huge <laughs> wall to ceiling, uh, a floor to ceiling uh, glass windows with a moat out the back and a waterfall was ridiculous. Uh, they got the NFL. Can we stop for a second? What was the moat for? What, what uh, for the ducks, the Oregon ducks. Um, I, I got to write, uh, on, on these special texts on the, on the window, uh, you know, anything I wanted. And I had, you know, in this big bubble I had sports performance written there. Um, and a- around it, I had basically all the different metric metrics, technology, uh, devices, anything I could think of that, that changed positive or negative sports performance and had it, that could that could measure any change or a measure an output or a, a lack of that or whatever, whatever it could be. Um, and when I got to the Eagles, it was really about applying, trying to apply kind of everything that I learned off that uh, board uh, into the players there. Uh, and, and we did a lot of that. It was a, a huge year of kind of information and education. We did everything from heart variability to daily weigh-ins and, and, all, and, a, and a whole host of other things we did as well. Um, so we had a huge amount of data points. But what we learned in that was we spent way too much time looking at the computer uh, and not enough time talking to the athletes. Um, and that, that to me was what I learned in that year was, you know, okay, I've got a thousand data points and I can come up with a decision uh, that isn't as quick, but, it's slightly more accurate or what I would think is more accurate than a decision that I can make quickly with five data points. Um, and with those five, I can do, I can do a lot of great rather than looking at a thousand. And that to me was really how, okay, how do I, how can I use those five data points and, and really make quick and decisive change, but then talking with the players, understanding kind of where they were at, and not being so concerned with the numbers either uh, and, and trying to hit that balance between the relationship with the guy, understanding rather than like, 
oh man, he's a two on sleep. Uh, he needs to have a nap. Um, it was, <laughs> it was, Hey man, he's a two on sleep. That's one of our five metrics. Hey, I'm going to go talk to him and see what happened. It's like, Oh, my daughter was up like six times last night, but I actually had, I had a, uh, a little bit of a sleep in. So I actually feel pretty good right now. All right, well, let's, let's just make sure your hydration's on point and kind of go from there. So it ends up being like a really quick and easy conversation or, Hey, here's a list of six guys to the coach. Uh, you know, kind of you said before with the list is like, here's a list of six guys that I'm concerned about. Uh, here's a position coach. They can go talk to him. Um, so that, that was the difference that, that to me was, uh, I learned a lot after that first year about just the, the raw application, but then really just talking to, talking to people around as well. Reminds me of the story when, you know, I'm talking to a coach and he's like, you know, he's slow at this and he's slow at that and he's weak at this and this and that. And so we go through all the different parameters of how this individual is not doing well. And I just remember, he goes, what are we going to do about this? I, like, I don't know. You recruited him. I, th- I think this is the, pri- you know, I have strength coach, not magician. And I think that that is, that is a, a delicate balance that you have. And it's that speed of information, you know, uh, you can have all the data points in the world, but if it takes you a month to get there. I mean, if you know that this person within one or two data points is needing of either correction or um, a change in, in, in stimulus, get to the point. I, I was so fortunate enough to work with Coach James Jones at Yale, and I remember sitting down with him, and he, he's, he's as old school as you can get as far as a real coach's coach. But what I appreciate about, appreciated about him is that he respected data, he respected my passion, and he knows that he would know that I or my staff wouldn't necessarily understand the X's and O of basketball, but he cared was the intent. And he was like, that is your thing. And he's like, in all my years of coaching, you know, you're good at your job. I'm going to listen to you in that respect. And I think sometimes people try a little bit too hard. You know, they, they want to show everyone how much they know and the more graphs and the more charts that I I show, therefore I'm that much smarter. Whereas a coach, these are three guys, you got to reach out, got to find out, you know, what's going on. And sometimes too, not making assumptions from the data, Oh, there's numbers down. Well, yeah, you know, well, what are we going to do about it? Well, it turns out, as you said, maybe they got kids that didn't get a sleep, a good night's sleep. Maybe they had an exam. So not just rushing to conclusions and, and kind of working side by side, as you mentioned, not being in a silo uh, actually will, will do much better for you in, in the long term. So, you know, I, I don't know why people continue to try to force sheets and, and visualizations down people's throat. If you can get to one or two points and have a conversation, the conversation might be the most uh, valuable aspect of that insight. And and you mentioned you had that big board and that hub when you were at Oregon. And then when you came to the Eagles, what did you pair that down to? And I think listeners probably want to know, because uh, right now take force plates there. There's every single metric under the sun, things I've never even heard of stuff. I'm not even sure is a real word. What were the things that you, you boiled it down to? And, and if someone was trying to get their feet underneath them and you said, Hey, listen, start with this and then build out from here, what would they be? Yeah, I, I think it obviously depends, um, you know, on a few things. I think one of the most important things as well is, you know, you can you can be simple with the metrics that you use, but you can also make the back end more complicated for yourself as well if you want to. So if you want to look at magnitude-based inferences and um, if you want to, you know, go down uh, like accuracy and reliability studies and, and all that sort of things and, and validation studies, you can you can do that yourself. You can learn how to do that. Um, that, that is sports science. Uh, so when you have those conversations, you can you can go with it with a certain level of confidence uh, when you're saying the information. But in in terms of you know some key things to me, uh, you know, 
I love taking it back to the old internal, external load and environmental. Um, and, you know, how, how much it's doing. So let, let's track that with, with GPS or with the RFID. Uh, you know, how, how hard can this guy go? Okay. So we're going to look at, uh, force plate data. So let's look at uh, peak power output, uh, or, uh, RSI mod, uh, and look at neuro, neuromuscular fatigue. Um, let's look at, uh, I think some of the wellness information uh, is really easy to collect and can give you a lot of information. So if you just take those three things, you can learn a lot about where guys are. If you learn how much they're doing on the field or, or on the court or wherever you're at, um, how much power output do they have and what's the new muscular fatigue? Uh, and then and what are their changes over time uh, in terms of how your training uh, affects that stimulus? Uh, and then, you know, how do they feel after they've done all that? That's a, that's a pretty good source of nuggets right there in terms of how you make decisions. You don't need to go uh, crazy in terms of looking at every single metric and just pick a few. So how far they run, how far per minute, uh, how many, how many high speed yards, uh, peak power output, RSI mod, uh, maybe look at something relative if looking positions for, for force plate, uh, and then look at sleep and soreness and energy levels or, or mood, uh, or stress. Um, and, and pick a few different metrics along those, along those lines. You don't need to, uh, go crazy deep with those, but I think the more important, uh, side of that is just being diligent in how you process the information, uh, and the back end of, of being deliberate on, uh, you know, are there any outliers? Are there things you're seeing change? Are you using the right programming to, uh, look at confidence intervals and, and, and roll through that. So I think the, some of the more complex side of, of it is the actual data organization of it on the back end. Um, but with systems that are already accurate and valid, uh, you can really just do real-time uh, information decision-making as you're going. Speed is everything. The, the insights that take a week or they take, you know, however long, um, it, and again, and there's diminishing returns because every insight has a, a certain shelf life. If something needs to be, you know, discussed, it might, you have, might have minutes, you know, in the case of the weight room, you might have seconds and how do we process through the information so that that way we can make the best programming decision, but then share that information, um, you know, to the other people within your group, to the head coach, to the positional coach. Um, and, and you alluded to power. I mean, we lived in that world all the time. And I, I, I could think about times where, power maybe shifts two, 3%. And then all of a sudden you see that just this massive drop. And again, we talk about metrics all the time in a vacuum, in a silo it is just so less important than getting, you know, we would use team builder. We'd put a survey at the end of the lift. How's it going? How's life? How did that lift feel? This was a recovery lift. You just got bundled. What's going on. And, and that is really when you start combining data, you get better insights, but again, it's all within a time frame. It's all within a relevance. And, and I think a lot of people make the mistake of looking at everything and seeing nothing versus I'm going to, you know, ride or die with these two or three metrics. And then at the end of the year, I'm going to do a deep dive analysis. And then when I do a cluster analysis, I notice, wow, you know what, that RSI mod stuff that actually, you know, when that, that, that was good, uh, players were more productive when that was lower and, and certain things we know we can make people stronger to a point. Uh, we know we can make them more powerful to a point. Uh, and then speed is very hard. 
I joke. I, I, you know, it's crazy. These four, four forties I see all the time in high school, they just disappear. I thought, I forget who wrote that great article. It was like the number of four, four forties in high school versus the NFL is, 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 uh, such a small fraction. But again, that's a question of validity and reliability and the testing and assessment, but it's also just being honest with yourself of what metrics really matter. What do I need to recruit? And then also what do I need to develop and understand you have, fixed time windows. You don't get a 10-year college career. And, and for the NFL, you know, it must have been even more challenging because I know they don't allow necessarily, you can't mandate off seasons. How, how would you handle that in, in season of a player, starter, practice squad, or, or when you did get the off season, how did you handle that? Yeah, I think a lot of that just comes down to preparation and planning uh, and, and kind of experience in terms of using the information from previous seasons and, and kind of pushing that out longitudinally. I think that the point you made about the end of year reviewing uh, is, is critical. And it's something that uh, in the U S particularly isn't, isn't really done very well. I think the, and maybe Australia is a little bit too diligent in some of the things they do and they try and pass out too much information in terms of end of year reviewing. Uh, but, you know, I, I love that idea of, Hey, what, okay, what do we do really well? What worked? Um, what does the data just say in, in the first place? I think some people just just don't look back at what happened. Um, like if you don't know where you've come from, you don't know where you're going. So let's look back, understand the information, but let's let's make some real change. Let's write down some active like action items that we're going to achieve this next season. What, why we did them? Write that down. Put it up on the wall so you know the reason why that you made these changes. And if people come in, coaches, athletes, staff. You can talk about, hey, we actually did these changes because this is what we found over the last two years, the last year, and we can kind of deliberately go about it and be methodical. Um, but yeah, I think I think it really just comes down to, hey, we didn't see this guy for four months, five months. Uh, we, you know, not that we don't trust him, but we don't know exactly what he's done. Uh, don't know what dates he's had off. Don't know what his, you know, his training timeline's been like. But we do know people at similar positions. We did see this last couple of years. Let's, let's work at this planning, the planning and periodization scheme. Uh, let's put on some screening times for the force plate or for wellness questionnaire or for heart variability. Let's, let's plan out and be methodical about the, the training and preparation leading into games uh, and then see if they align with what we expect to see um, from, from previous seasons or just from experience. Can you break down kind of your hierarchy of importance? So I, I think about for us, you know, football season ends, everybody gets a week to go home for Thanksgiving um, just for the timing of our season. But then we would actually go down month by month, week by week, break down the data, go through, pull their training logs, dump it, dump the CSV into a visualization tool and go and try to look for commonalities and connections. What were some of the ones that you look for? And, and then not having to get specific into maybe what particular metric, but more, what was your thought process kind of at the professional level? Yeah, a lot was more about, okay, so we have, uh, we know this individual, he's been with us for, for four years. What What's normal for this guy? What's a typical practice for this guy? Uh, what's a typical week? Uh, and, you know, for the different testing modalities that we have. And then, how would we build and plan this out for this particular player if we could just do it without without the coaching staff? Okay, what will we do? How we plan is how many practices we do in a row? How many how many, how many like days off will we do? 
And then as we went through that planning process, it's like, okay, let's play a one in that position group. Let's go play a two. And then really the process was exactly the same, but just go through the data for him and then plan that out. And as we got further and further into that, you have a couple of outliers, but generally speaking, everyone sits between a pretty good bandwidth. Um, and you, so we could say, hey, this is, this is kind of the progression in what you like as a coach, as a head coach to run a training camp. This is our proposal. Uh, let's talk about it and then kind of have that plan going at the same time, making sense. Um, one, one of the biggest things to me was always, I know what the head coaches like, would ask, like, hey, how, how are you going to run training camp this year? Like, what, what would be your optimal uh, practice time? Or when would you like to do things uh, and days off and, and go through it? And then we would, you know, basically go and write his program but then under kind of our stipulations on different position groups and different players and where they fit in and just having like an open honest conversation about how that goes yeah and i think that's where people forget that it does take time you have to be diligent in your craft and there's no there's no speedy way to go through it you're going to spend hours and that's why we talk about in the internship development program you're going to spend hours cleaning and that is a proxy for the hours that you're going to spend going through the data, reaching out, having those conversations. I mean, just all in, how long do you think those reviews would take for you if you had to kind of ballpark the uh, postseason analysis? Oh, I mean, the the end of year reviews is, I mean, yeah. I, so it's one of those things that you try and get it done really quickly uh, so that, you know, and this is how sport is, is like once you're done, everyone kind of scatters. Um, so, you know, I would... I would prepare those reports uh, really in the last quarter of the season um, and start building the preparation of those reports so I can get them out within like two weeks of uh, the end of the season. Um, but, you know, once it's funny, it's like once that last game hit, I always felt like those two weeks are like my uh, Super Bowl almost because it's the, all right, this is my training camp right now. We're, we're going, we're doing 12-hour days and getting this stuff out. This is like we have to write and be be correct and accurate with this information. You, you cannot screw this up. Um, so that, yeah, it, there's a lot of hours, uh, a lot of, more of the preparation to get to that point at the end uh, before anything else too. Yeah. Yeah. Preparation's everything. I mean, I, I just laugh when people say, oh, we're going to sit down and review, you know, whatever, as you're, you're talking about, you're, you're starting the review process in season. You're looking three months out, four months out. So we're not talking, take a couple minutes here, throw it, you know, up on an Excel sheet, you're talking about deep analysis. And sometimes that, you know, slow think fast think it, it takes time to really kind of massage and kind of go through and really think outside the box as well as analytically, you know, and you made me think of the time, you know, we did one analysis after one of our championship runs and, you know, we're into it. We start looking and, and we, we're looking at all these things. And then there was just a moment where one of the younger coaches go, Hey, you know, what's interesting, all these really twitchy kids, that are freshmen or sophomores that are really explosive. Their peak relative is through the roof. Their total wattage is, you know, over 7,000. They missed a lot of games. They missed a lot of practices. And then when we went and go and looked at how much, uh, how heavy they were able to go, what was their training density? So considering really weight training north of 80% of one RM, yeah, they really didn't lot of, they didn't have a lot of those lifts. So we had to start thinking about instead of, you know, do I do a traditional five by five at 85? We started looking at, and again, with the help of Bill Kramer, looked at four by two at 80, five by two at 80. And one of the things that we figured out was, yeah, there is a minimum cutoff that your super genetically gifted twitchy individuals may not have that 
maturity in their eccentric strength. So as we're sitting here trying to control their, you know, productivity um, numbers, those outcome drivers, we're, we're, we're missing the strategy. And so those were things that just one little insight from maybe a junior coach completely changed the following off season where we started tracking that. I know that carried over into our men's soccer program as well, where for that championship team, I don't think there was an individual that didn't get at least 200 reps uh, of their back squat into um, over 80% heading into the summer. And, and again, the success speaks for themselves. They hadn't won since 1991 and they go in and get player of the year and that, and that's a credit to uh, coach Tofi Zimnicki uh, who actually listened to the football conversation and then applied that across the field. And we wouldn't have known that if we didn't look at other elements as well. What, what were some of the other tools that you use to kind of combine? We, we would use force plates. We would use uh, velocity-based training as well as DEXA scanners. We were very spoiled to have access to the medical school and do DEXA scans. What were some of the other tools or technologies that you maybe combine data with? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, power variability is a big one. We, we use that for a little while. And then, uh, you know, there's some of these, some of these things are great in the lab, right? Like some of the testing modalities are great in the lab. Uh, it's very controlled. It's very easy. Um, so like your heart rate uh, testing is, is great in the lab. Um, lay down five minutes, seven minutes, uh, be really quiet. Don't move. Um, having a, you know, doing some of the sleep mattress stuff is, is really, uh, you know, it sounds really good, but it's really hard and complicated to do as well. So, uh, you know, we, we did a whole host of different areas like that, different metrics and different systems, uh, but really found some of the best ones are really just the simplest uh, to execute practically. And that's like looking at your, um, your in specific gravity, uh, how, like how hydrated are you? What's your weight fluctuations uh, from a daily or a weekly standpoint? What, uh, you know, from a RFID tracking standpoint, okay, well, we now we, we can put these little chips on your shoulders. You don't even know they're there um, or a GPS on your back. It's very, very simple. Uh, off you go. Force plate, end up inter integrating into just your normal workout. You can have them under the rack and uh, you can have separate testing as you walk in or it, it's very, very easy in terms of uh, doing testing on that and being, you know, having a protocol and process for that is, is really easy. Like the players can run it themselves. Um, and then some of the questionnaire stuff, we could do is go up to someone and ask them. Uh, so, you know, that's what we used to do as well. And then and RPE, I think RPE is uh, kind of underrated. It uh, just gives you a really basic and baseline of how the player is thinking about what their load is like um, through time. So I think there's something to do with the simplicity of it all. Yeah, we also did, you know, some of the biochemistry, uh, the blood work, uh, all, all that side of it as well. And the nutrition side is, is hugely important. Um, but yeah, I just like the, the KISS uh, principle is really just the, you know, just the simplest and best kind of they beat it. Yeah. I mean, you talk about all these different testing things and, and if you haven't done this in real life, you just have to imagine, you know, it's a, you know, Sunday in college, maybe it's a Monday or Tuesday, depending on when your team gets off uh, in the NFL and you lost. And now you're going to ask them to do all this testing. And now you're going to ask them to do these things. How, how did you handle that? And, and not only veterans, but maybe rookies, you mentioned RPE. That was a fantastic experience when we first rolled that out that, you know, one through 10, you know, one, I can run through walls, 10, the walls are falling in on me. You know, how did you feel? And it was crazy that you might get someone who didn't even play in the game, say a 10 is like, well, just, I'm going to give you a minute to recalibrate that 10 because 10 is giving birth. Right. So from giving birth to you didn't do anything this weekend with the team, how on God's earth did you get anything above a one? 
And then you'd get the other people, the reducers, it'd be like, you know, I'm a zero. Okay, linebacker, you literally can't keep your eye open. You don't even know what planet you're on. You know, you look like you just rolled out of bed. Uh, how did you calibrate that? And, and, and did you do the same thing with everybody? Or did you, do you have a strategy on how to handle different types of players positionally or just career-wise? Yeah, uh, it's classic, isn't it? Like 10, you're like, hey, no, not number of drinks you had over the weekend. I want to know, <laughs> like, actually how you feel. Um, no, you, yeah, you have to do uh, different people. Um, and I think that's what is so important about diversity in your staff um, so that you can have different relationships, different people and, um, you know, the communication between your staff. I think the most important aspect of it all is, you know, we talked a lot, a lot about educating the players, educating the coaches, but you have to make sure that your staff is educated and that when you leave the room, you can have as many arguments as you want. You can, you can cuss people out. You can, you know, you can completely disagree with their philosophy but as long as after you've hashed it all out and you walk out of a meeting and you say, this is what we're doing. Okay. We're collecting RPE because of these three reasons. Then when any player asks any staff member and they say, what is the reason? Then you can say, well, we're doing it for this. And that's, that's the same with the force play. I think like the last year um, at, at the Eagles, we, we use it as a neuromuscular fatigue marker the day after a game. Now, some of these tests have to happen in the morning after they fly in. And because of the different rules and regulations that you have, they, they fly in on the same like, morning as, the, as they've played. And so you're testing these guys um, at you know, early morning after they've already played a game the day before. Um, so it's how do you get them to give some effort? How do you get them to be motivated to do things? And a lot of that always, I think most of it comes down to what your uh, education is like within your group and within your staff and how you're disseminating information to the players and the importance of it. Um, if you can, if you can, as a staff band together and show importance in something, the players are going to buy into it. And yes, you're going to have a few that are going to question it and go back. And then you have individual conversations with them. I think the, the biggest thing is just not to shy away from the, the tough conversations and just have them um, because it, it actually makes you better as a practitioner um, and it makes the player uh, end up being on your side in the end because if you can explain it well enough, they're going to go to the locker room and tell the other veterans or the other rookies that, like, you know, a rookies are slightly different. You can basically you can tell them what to do. But let's, let's say the veterans go to other veterans and say, do you know what? That James guy, he kind of does know what he's talking about. And then it just snowballs from there. And once you get confidence from one person, it can kind of build. Um, but a lot of that comes down to the staff in general and understanding Hey, this is this is what we're doing as a team. This is the reason why, and we're, we've all got each other's back. Um, and then from there, you know, let's hey, let's sit down. We'll go through your data. We'll get you to understand it yourself. This, this, this is our aim. This is what we're trying to do. What are what are your aims? What are your like? What are you trying to achieve? And I think that's like the if you talk about rookies, like I, I love like the play development side of things. And I think some some metrics align themselves really well, especially in elite sport, um, and especially football is like the force play is so great for that. You can look at force production over a year or over two years, over three years for these rookies who have come in, look at power output. And some of the most exciting things are showing these players their progression over a season uh, once they've had a full year in the league. And you can you can say, hey, like look where you were when you first got here. Your first five tests were here. And now your next five tests are here. You've gone from like there's 10 players in your position group. You've gone from 10th to fifth. Um, and these two, these top two are the best in the league. Uh, 
you know, some of the best to ever play the game and you're, you're this close to them. And they're the, they're, that's the stuff, that's the stuff I'm passionate about. And I love talking to people about is like, when, when you see things going well, it's so fun to talk to people about. Now, when things are going badly, again, it's in the conversation. Are you doing the little, little things that uh, are required for you to be an elite athlete and to be the best you possibly can be? But that's not a conversation ahead of, like in itself. So, Yeah, finding metrics that matter. I mean, I remember just, you know, you as a, as a college lacrosse player, if you do not put out 7,000 watts, you are the chances of you being elite, not saying that you can, you mentioned some outliers. And again, that's how statistics work. You might have these exceptions, but in general, we need to get to 7,000 Watts. And so early on, it was adding tissue. It was adding muscle. It was, you know, changing body comp. It was getting stronger. And then when we got strong, we figured out how to speed it up. And then we went, you know, anterior and then posterior. And then we went unilateral and we started looking at, you know, dancing along the curve, but you have to have metrics because then when you look at the lineup, it has to equal out. I, I think uh, another trap is you you make a metric that, oh look this metric went up well yeah but the best player or the guys getting more playing time don't have that metric so why do i care and so you have to tell that story and that story may evolve over time but that drives that buy-in and you mentioned too that your staff has to believe in it your coaches have to believe in it your players have to believe in it and if people are shooting each other you know in the foot by, by switching or stabbing each other in the back as a staff i mean that's a big problem People ask all the time, you know, what was one of the secrets at Yale? And it's it's the staff work together as a unit. It was not my team. It was not anybody else's team. It was our team. And how did we go? And when we do walk outside that door, we better be in alignment because people say all the time, oh, you need to communicate. You need to communicate. Well, I can communicate with a wall and just talk to a bunch of bricks. But the intent has to be in with the staff to say, hey, you know what? I think this and here's why. And maybe you're using you know, uh, plate data, maybe you're using workout logs, maybe you're looking at personal experience, but repeatedly, because again, think about it, you have to be accurate, you have to be reliable, you have to be repeatable, right? And so all these different things. And so we'll give it a shot. And we'll try, we're going to keep our core concepts, but we'll, we'll go out a little bit and that worked. Okay, we'll build and we'll iterate our process. But if you have individuals who walk out, mm, I don't believe in back squats. Mm, yeah, James is going to talk to you about this velocity based stuff. I don't believe in it. You should just move heavy weight. I just cannot stress how much that undermines your program. Even if you're right, you're actually still wrong because you weren't aligned as a staff. And ultimately, it's your athletes that are going to suffer. And, and I think it's not just the athletes. I think the coaches see that as well. Did you, did you guys take the same approach when you were dealing with the coaches or GMs to kind of show them the same data as the athletes? Or did you cut it up differently for them? No, we cut it up differently as well. I think um, it all depends on who you deliver information to. And, you know, you're not necessarily cutting some things out and putting some things in it's just being you know the a linebacker group is going to be different to o-line group that's just the reality of it um the the different positions and different sports have uh you know uh differences that need to be uh, overcome uh com- compared to each other so uh even when talking the coaching staff it's like okay this is uh, this is a different group we're dealing with here this we need to we need to tailor our response uh for these players you know, there's only five in a position group. There's only three in a position group. Okay, well, if one player is out because of an injury, then you've got four guys, then we've got now we've got a 25% increase in volume or whatever it might be. So, okay, well, there's 15 in this group. If one guy's out, okay, well, they're not, not really going to get that much increase. So maybe you don't need to have that conversation then. Um, but in a smaller group, you do. So we definitely, yeah, depending on what you're dealing with and, and which players you are and then obviously – you know, some positions are, uh, you know, 
uh, more susceptible to a certain type of injury and some aren't. And then you kind of go through the different like levels of it all. So, you know, the I was pretty methodical and diligent about kind of how I approached that in terms of writing down all the different players. This is what, you know, they typically do have from an injury standpoint. So what this guy, this guy has had, uh, these are the ways that we're going to look at, you know, the his longitudinal data. This is what his expected loads are for X, Y day. This is what his expected outputs are. And then once you change away from that, that's how, that's how we would kind of talk to different coaches and then, and the player and the staff and, um, you know, manipulate his, his week. Um, but it's also depending on where those metrics were and what they were, who would you talk to, to elicit a change as well? Did you find it easier to kind of have those conversations at the collegiate level or at the professional level? Uh, I thought the professional level was easier. I think because you're, you're especially with the players, like a, you know, there's a, a lot of players in the collegiate level that are, are just there to either make up numbers or have aspirations, but, you know, just aren't, aren't the quality that they need to be to make it to the next level. And you kind of, you can see the difference in how much heart they're putting into something. Um, and that, that made it difficult at times. Um, that also is on the staff to make it, you know, you have to get as much buy-in as possible at the same time. So that's, that's also a staff thing. Um, but, you know, I, I just found personally the professional level was easier. I thought when you, you're dealing with professional athletes that, um, you know, in the day it all comes down to livelihood and you can, you can hopefully influence that. You know, you mentioned that it's a little bit easier at the pro level because, you know, let's be honest, it's a business. It's a business of asset management and productivity or not. Um, but with that, I'm sure there were some other challenges. And, and I think, you know, there's a romance here of high school, you know, college better than high school and the pros are better than college. You alluded to it earlier of a nice window overlooking, you know, the mode of ducks. And then you were in the concrete cell with fluorescent lights. What are some of the other kind of either fallacies from a professional level or just kind of maybe misconceptions that people have when you do get to that highest level? And again, the margins are razor thin between overtraining and, you know, um, success. Uh, and how do you manage that? What are, what are some of the things you think people maybe aren't aware of that that goes on at that level yeah i guess i think if you're if you're someone thinking about getting into elite sport i I would say like are you are you ready to grind and do you like to suffer a little bit and do you uh do do you kind of relish in being tired and and pushing yourself uh from like hours and and missing events and uh you know being away from family and, and all those kind of things. Like there's a, there is a certain level of like, you are going to, there is sacrifice to, uh, to the job at the same time. Like it, it is really fun. It's a really fun industry. Uh, winning is awesome. Uh, losing sucks, <laughs> but, uh, and, and losing, losing sucks a lot more than like them, than you like to win. Uh, it's crazy. It's a crazy industry. I don't think that's the right way to say it, but at any rate, winning is awesome. Um, and I think that's the, that's the hard part is, and kind of, I think we talked about this right at the beginning is the, when, when you have a whole building of, you know, hundreds of men and women who are all dedicated at just the one goal, uh, that is really special because you know that the person sitting to the left and right of you when you're in a meeting uh, or out in the field or whatever you're doing, you know that 
they have the same goal as you do. Um, and that, and that's to win. So, uh, that is the, the one thing about just sport in general that is amazing. Um, but from a, from a pro sport and, and I would say college as well, like that, that might as well be professional now. Um, and, and it is, let's face it, it is just got to get them, get the, get the players paid. But, um, yeah, no, you like, you need to, yeah, it, there's a, there's a suck factor at the same time. Yeah. And people wonder why would you put yourself through it? But if you've never experienced a, a lift that's going right and the music's going and the individuals are going, there's, there's an energy, there's an energy in unified thought. There's an energy in a collective agreement on that one outcome. So whether it's winning, whether it's again, winning a Super Bowl, winning a championship um, there, there is an energy. And I, and it's funny, I'm, I'm thinking, as you mentioned the point about the, you know, losing sucks, 10 X uh, winning sometimes is only positive, you know, two or three. And, and I remember we won in 2017, everyone was so ecstatic and it was weird. Cause I was like, well, we said we were going to do what we we're going to do. I mean, our staff was very strategically hired in the spring of 16 to go and beat the team of the North to beat Harvard. Hadn't beat them in 10 years. We use science and data. Lo and behold, you know, go through that first season, beat them. We weren't very good. I think we were two and eight at the time. They were in poised to win the Ivy championship again for the bajillionth time. Um, but we beat them in a packed house. And that was kind of our catalyst moment where come around 2017, we were, you know, the eight and two team and we beat them. And I just remember thinking, great, now we got to do it again. And so then we had that spring, we had to roll into lacrosse as well and go and beat Duke and standing on the sidelines at Gillette stadium and being like, yeah, I mean, we know data works. We know science works and we have an incredible team. Uh, of course we do it, but there is that uh, delicate balance of it is very consuming. You're not getting into a job, you're getting into a lifestyle. And I think those lifestyles have transitory times. They have moments in time that they work and you're super grateful for them. Um, but at the same time, uh, there are heavy costs, especially when you talked about family or time away. Um, it certainly is something that you have to think about. And I think something that you probably plan for in your you know, your career, um, big picture wise, you have to think about that. You're not going to do this forever. Um, so make the most of the time that you have, which again, drives to that energy and guiding you through that time. Have you had a few people that have, have helped you? I know I have my, you know, I'd call it my, uh, what is it, my counsel. You go to counsel and you ask your, your staff or your friends or, uh, your mentors, who, who do you have that's really helped you along the way? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, there's so many people that help along the way and, and I have to I have to mention my parents and my wife first I think like they uh have definitely been like a huge just just always there for questions and ideas and uh you know it's it's awesome to have people who uh, are in your corner all the time and uh I, I have vested interest as well um yeah Darren Burgess uh his uh unbelievable at his job uh obviously um but you know he he's also like a really good person just to talk to about career and moving he's moved to countries and moved back and um so he's he's someone that i've talked to a lot just about like the life of elite sport and kind of how the trajectory goes uh you know one day you can have a job next day you can't uh what that looks like how do you move you know across a different country with kids how do you uh do you know have have different aspects of just the elite sporting lifestyle. Um, uh, so Neil Craig was the first head coach I worked with uh, at Adelaide, um, and yeah, you know, we haven't talked in a long time. But he 
he he is the one that kind of set me on that trajectory of like how do you talk to people and how do you talk to coaches. So I'll be I'll always be grateful for for him and give me the job to start with, uh, him and Stephen Schwert, um, and then you know James Harris was the person who brought me to uh, Oregon uh, in the first place, and then over to the Eagles as well, um, and he has been a tremendous standing board for me for every year, and a lot of it is more around the strategic side of um, you know business and. Uh, or the business of sport and and how do you communicate with people and um, installing like a just like a very level head when it comes to you know don't be too high or too low do I think about things in a very uh, methodical fashion so um, and then uh, another person like the last person I would say is uh, uh, Joe Club and there's two of them Emma Beanland um, and they uh they've always just you know we've kind of been in a very similar career line in terms of our thought processes and um just working with those two uh kind of just learning about different ideas and being able to having people in a similar position and being able to talk to them uh is always a is always a great way in terms of like honing your own craft and understanding information better and being able to um yeah really get understanding about uh, you know where you're at and what you're seeing in the information is that correct or is it not correct um, and I feel like I'm going to leave a couple people out because I always do but I'm going got- to for your own self-preservation I'm going to give you two seconds to give your wife a shout out because I hear she's incredible she is <laughs> master at arms at home why don't you tell well, a little I, bit about I, how I, did. I, said, I said mum and dad and my wife um, but she is she is she is incredible uh, we, we moved over uh when we weren't quite married yet and she was still in Australia, we did a year uh, apart there. And then uh, also over to the Eagles and had three kids in the U S and so it's been, it's been a pretty exciting ride. Um, And uh, yeah, now moving back, back to Australia again. So yeah, she's definitely brunted a whole bunch of the, uh, the force over here. Uh, So yeah, no, she, she knows, she knows I love her. So she's, she's, uh, she's definitely a keeper that one. Yeah, no, I think uh, it's so important when you talk about your social network of people that just support you because those long hours do grind on and it's the stuff that people don't see. It's the, it's after a loss. It's that, you know, you're trying to, as you mentioned, figure out what kind of peanut butter you need to get. And those are just the little stressors that I think go on and, and often gets overlooked in high performance is that, you know, just being able to get your, get your life. We talk about lifing. We can take a day to just get my life together. Um, that can get thrown by the wayside because the 15, 18 hour day or whatever it is, um, that's the expectation. And you have to do it with a high degree of confidence and a high degree of excellence. And it's, it's tough, but you know, now, as you end one kind of chapter here and, and begin another one coming back to the, uh, the private sector and, and specifically becoming a tech innovator, what lessons did you learn throughout your collegiate and professional career that you're going to now think about as you, you know, again, from the tech standpoint, think about designing and building products? Because obviously um, it's great to be able to administer a test, but now what do you think you can do and what do you think we can do uh, moving forward as far as using your experiences to kind of advance and create an industry? Yeah. And let me get to that in a second. I just want to say one other thing, um, you know, about like with, with sport in general, I think, you know, it's always about like, what was your favorite moment? And kind of, we talked about the first one where 
like I want to be in sport now. I, I just I just kicked the footy with like the person I've grown up idolizing. This is amazing. Um, and you know, people are, are probably say to me like, "Well, win the Super Bowl is the your favorite moment." And it's like that was very high up there. But my favorite was actually the week before um, we won the conference championship game at home against the Vikings, um, and like my wife got to run on, like all the wires were running on the field and like running towards my wife, seeing you're going to the Super Bowl uh, on like on the screen, on the ticket around the stadium and like having a hug and like, like feeling that euphoria of it's like, holy crap, like this is actually happening. Um, that, that to me was like that, that's, that was the pinnacle right there. Now winning it was amazing, but that was the the you know most precious moment that I think we'll take to our graves because it was just you know you could see everything that built up to it across uh, kind of the whole career and all the sacrifice that you make and like not going to your friends' weddings and not doing all that stuff like there was a like a really really uh, like just beautiful moment um, of sport so that that that's my like wow that was that was amazing but yeah as in terms of kind of the progression back to Australia into the private sector. I guess I'm just really excited uh, more than anything. I, you know, I love information. I love talking to people about kind of sport and uh, information, how to use it, uh, decision-making, interpretation, all those things, how the relationship between yourself and athletes and coaches and um, how, how you use information to, you know, benefit better performance and make better people. Um, you know, that's, that's really like just a, uh, you know, this is the, a love and passion of mine that I, I'm really excited to take into kind of the private sector and really just talk to a lot of people about it. I think that's one thing that is is great and also tough about elite sport is that you have the people that you, uh, in in your team, you can talk to about the data specifically, but now I get to talk to everyone about their data uh, like every day. Um, and so I think that the support side of things and being able to help people with information is really the, the crux of any tech uh, and getting into any tech business and being a driver innovator is if you can continue to help people make decisions and talk about it and uh, be a sounding board for that person, they're they're only going to excel. Yeah, James, it's been a pleasure talking with you. And and again, I'm excited for, you know, having you join our team, being able to combine our experiences of having done it in the field, but now making it scale, bringing it to market and building products that don't suck building products that help you win. I think there are shared core value of the fact that if someone is any way affiliated with us personally, professionally, or uh, customer wise is that I want to make sure they have a competitive edge and they have an insight and whether it's a phone call, whether it's a suggestion or anything like that, being, um, you know, blessed to be able to have you join the team um, and add to an incredible staff that you really do amazing things is exciting. And again, it reinvigorates that kind of hunger because certainly you and I now have uh, probably a little bit more time than we've had historically, but be able to get out and then combine the brains of some of the top visualization people, combine the brains with some of the most incredible electrical engineers uh, at the shop. And so this summer, no doubt, as we continue to kind of refine that process and build it, keeping central to our mission of making products that are going to help individuals, you know, win. And when we say that it's not just about winning and losing Win can be coming back from that ACL with confidence coming back from, 
you know, that, that meet. And now I have to go into a second day or competition, developing strategies and then helping educate younger coaches to say, yeah, you know, here's an example of something maybe a senior coach might see off the get, but now with plates, you can accelerate your educational process. So as we continue to educate and teach, you know, the future generation uh, of the professionals in the field that we love, um, I'm excited for that. If, you know, you're out there listening, uh, we want to hear from you. I say this at every podcast and, you know, we, we see your messages coming in. Make sure you give us a shout anytime. We just love reaching out. We love talking about this stuff, hearing your stories, whether, you know, you're a current Hawkins customer or you're one of our future customers. Um, we want to hear it. So feel free to reach out to us on Instagram. Feel free to reach out to us at on Twitter or just go to the website, shoot us an email. I think this is one of those things as we continue to grow uh, very quickly. Uh, people that maybe are a little bit insecure or they're nervous or they're not quite sure about the technology. I can tell you right now, you jump on with James within five minutes, uh, you're going to think that this stuff's pretty cool. And, and it's not to replace anything. It's to to kind of build off your current experiences and enhance and magnify um, what you're doing. So again, I thank you all for listening. James, thank you as always. I look forward to seeing you uh, later on this week. And until next time, everyone, this is Thomas Newman and we're talking force here in the lab. Thank you all.